Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. We just finished up this um, really strong series called Gospel and just helping us get real practical with our faith. And before that, we were looking at, if you remember, we were doing some things. We just called it Love Jesus. And what we were doing is looking at interactions that Jesus had with real people in the scriptures. And then by looking at how Jesus talked to, to normal people, we see we can put ourselves in the positions of those people and, and see how Jesus would speak to us and how we can receive the love of Jesus in just really practical ways. And so what we have to kind of follow that up today is that there's a sequence of events that some churches, we, we talked about this a little bit back at Palm Sunday, but some churches follow what they call the liturgical calendar and certain Sundays um, are distinguished for certain events in the life of Christ. And today happens to be Pentecost Sunday, so we don't always follow the church calendar, but Pentecost is kind of a big day in the life of the church, so I thought we would just kind of hang out there together. And so you have Jesus who did three years of his, his teaching ministry where he was teaching in ways that nobody had ever seen before. And, and we know about all of his miracle signs and wonders and we see lives being changed and people healed and, and people being saved from, from all of their afflictions. And so we have that happening. And then right at the peak of that, we have this um, horrific interruption of a successful ministry when Jesus decided to lay down his life and die on the cross. So he interrupted his own ministry to, to climax that ministry with what John 3.16 says, because God loved the world, he sent his son to die on the cross for the punishment that our sins deserve. So the Bible teaches us that we are all sinners and, and our sin demands a, a ransom. It demands a payment that we just don't have the means to pay. And so Jesus took that punishment on the cross. So he paid for what we could never pay. He took our punishment. He didn't stay dead. A couple days later, he rose from the dead on the third day, right? Praise the Lord. So we worship a risen savior. We don't worship a statue. We don't worship a list of rules and regulations. We worship a living savior. We pray to a God who is alive and communicates with us. And we say we're in a relationship with him because it's not just religious beliefs. It's a person that we know. It's a God who has come. And the resurrection is what made that possible. So after the resurrection, Jesus hung out for another 40 days. So he, he rose from the dead and he spent time with his disciples and he went around going, no guys, it's really me. Uh, if you read through the book, uh, the, the gospels, the book of Acts, you see like Jesus was walking through walls and stuff, like just proving that he was this supernatural being and that he did rise from the dead. And it's like, are you sure it's you? He's like, hey, put your hands right here. Touch the holes. Like, it's me. I'm here. And so Jesus was validating. He was proving for 40 days who he was to those who, who followed him the most closely and then to some other people. And then um, he ascended back into heaven. After 40 days, he thought that was enough, and he returned to heaven. And then Pentecost happens right after that. So I want to just set up Pentecost with a little bit of, of the scriptures to lead us into there. And so in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, and these should be on the screen for you, it says, while he was with them, he commanded them, before he ascended to heaven, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise 
which he said, you have heard me speak about. So Jesus knew he was about to leave forever. And so he's speaking to his followers. Well, let me draw your attention back to some of the highlights of those three years that we spent together, because I want you to know how to be best prepared for what happens when I return back to heaven. And we live in that current environment, right? Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. And now he currently is in heaven with the father. So the way that he was setting up for the disciples is also the way that we currently we can experience him as well. So it's good for us to, to have that reference. And so I want to draw us back to a couple of the things that he spoke about really strongly. And so this is from John chapter 14. He said, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I am doing. So Jesus's time with, the, with his followers was all about training and empowerment. So he was teaching them how to do ministry. He was teaching them how to love the world as he had been loving the world. And so he was like, hey, this is all about you doing the things that I am doing. And then he takes it a step further. And this is where if we're paying attention, we get a little freaked out because he says he will do even greater things than these because I am going to the father. And so Jesus is telling these guys who haven't really gotten much right to this point that they're going to have an even more significant ministry than Jesus himself had. What? Sounds like blasphemy, right? It's not. This is the whole point of Jesus coming. He said, I come, I'm showing you the power of God to be on display, to lead people to salvation. I'm showing you how to do it. And now when I go, you're going to do it and you're going to do it even more and even greater things than you've seen me do. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus did some pretty great things while he was here on the earth. And now his charge and his commission is like, hey, church, now you're going to do even greater things through the power through which I'm going to provide for you. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commands. So Jesus is saying, this is a command I'm giving you. You will do greater things than I have done. He goes on to say in verse 16, and I will ask the Father... And he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. And now we're getting into what Pentecost is all about. So you may be going, it's a good question. Jesus, how in the world am I supposed to do greater things than what you did? Because you were perfect and holy and your greatness is unmatchable, unfathomable. And I'm just me. Like, what in the world? And he goes, oh, I'm glad you asked. Here's what I'm going to do. I am going to send you the spirit of truth. So he's sending a counselor, he's sending a helper, he's sending us a supplement, he's sending us a power source beyond what we could experience on our own. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. And then he says this, you will receive power when the spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's just kind of a geographical um, widening, right? Like Jerusalem is the city they're in. So it's like, you will be my witnesses in Richmond, Rosenberg and Texas and the United States and the ends of the earth, right? He's, he's just calling his shot saying from this little place, the gospel's gonna go out wider and wider and wider and wider. How's it gonna do that? Because the people of 
God are going to do greater things than Jesus chose to do while he was here. How are you going to do that? Because you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you're going to be empowered to be the witnesses on behalf of Jesus to the ends of the earth. So here we are on Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is all about that power falling on the people of God for the very first time, and this is the birth of the church. We worship on Sundays. Still today, the way that we do church was birthed right here in this passage of Scripture. In Acts chapter 2, if you're looking for something to read in your quiet time or your devotional, we're just going to scratch the surface because everything that's here, it's like mind-blowing and it's so significant and you're going to see a lot of the heart behind why we do church the way we do it, but we're just going to kind of show you the why and where that comes from. So uh, penta just means 50, so this is 50 days Um, later after the resurrected Jesus. Remember, he resurrected, he stayed for 40 days, he ascended for a few days, and then this happens 50 days after that. And Acts chapter two is where we get all of that information. So if you have a Bible or wanna open it up on your app, feel free to do that. It's also gonna be on the screen for you. Um, And we're gonna be in Acts chapter two, and we're gonna really dig into verses um, one through 13. I should have put a bookmark in this, but I didn't. All right. So this is the birth of the church. And what I want us to just kind of walk away with today is I want us to understand the purpose of Pentecost, because there's a lot of things that happen in Acts chapter two that get kind of pulled out and taken as standalone events, but they don't really make sense out of the context of the entire experience, right? There's certain things that people have taken and said, see, this has to be there. And it's like, yeah, that's good to be there, but it was for a specific purpose. And God has a wider purpose for what happens in him sending his power. And so um, we're going to be just kind of when we leave, I just hope that we we have an understanding of what was this about, what was the purpose, and where do I fit in um, to this today in 2021, right? Jeez. All right, let's do it. Ready? The pastor's ready. Everybody else is like, whatever. Okay. We need some power up in here, y'all. Come on. Here we go. All right. Verse one, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, hey, it's today. They were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were, where they were staying. And they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Hello, all right. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. Like, can you imagine? Like, we have languages more than any other place in the United States. More languages are spoken in Fort Bend County than any other place in the United States. And so, like, your neighbors, it would be like they walk out and it's like, oh, my gosh. I, speak, I hear somebody speaking Arabic, and they don't know Arabic. I hear somebody speaking Malayalam, and I, they don't know that language. I hear somebody speaking Urdu. I hear somebody speaking Spanish. I hear somebody speaking Italian. Like, and it makes sense. Like, where did, all, where did they learn all this? So they were blown away. It's like, that'd be cool in Fort Bend County one day. You just kind of walk around, and all of a sudden, you're communicating in the native tongue of some of our neighbors about the glory of God. Be cool, right? Lost my place. Oh, they were astounded. Look, these are all Galileans. How in the world do they know how to speak in our own language? 
Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those who lived in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia. I don't know how to say any of these really, but I'm just making it up. Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. Isn't that interesting, right? They don't believe in this God, but when they heard it in their own language, they immediately were able to say, all these people are speaking to us in a way that we can understand about the magnificent acts of their God. Immediately, they were able to understand. And they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. That's what this is. They did some day drinking, the mimosa special got to their head, and they're out of their mind, and they're just talking nonsense. That was about as rational as people could get. So that's Pentecost, guys. Um, Let's talk about it for just a little bit. So the first thing that we see in Pentecost is preparation, right? So Jesus had prepared them for this. He said, I'm going to go back to the Father, and then he said, you will be my witnesses, but the the power's going to come, but just wait. And so what we see, first of all, is that in the preparation for Pentecost and the coming and the empowering of the Spirit, the church was just waiting. They were just all together in one place. They didn't know what was gonna happen. They didn't know that on day 50, like tongues of fire from heaven were gonna fall and give this an incredible gift that was gonna birth the church for the rest of time. They were like, one day they had Jesus and then they didn't have Jesus and they're going like, what do we do? Well, Jesus said to just like wait in Jerusalem. So let's, let's just do that. Let's just hang out on the last thing that Jesus said Let's wait for what he told us to do. God's purposes always have a time of preparation, and it's usually things that we don't see or don't understand. Like we, They had no idea what was coming, and I believe that this is often true for you in your life. It's like it's impossible for you to know everything that God has prepared for you, and on this side of it, the waiting just feels like torture. It just feels like, oh, when am I going to be able to do something for God? But what I want us to see is that not every good idea is a God idea. So there's a lot of things that we could do. There's a lot of decisions we could make. There's a lot of works that we could do. There's a lot of acts that we can do. But if we go about that in our own power, if we jump the gun, if we don't do that, if we don't have this time of preparation or waiting first, like we, we kind of settle for good when it could have been great and what we want is the greatness and the power and the demonstration of the power of God. So waiting always comes first. The disciples had already gone out. They had already laid their hands on the sick and seen them healed. They had already seen people People raised from the dead. They've already fed the 5,000. Like these are people well versed in the acts of God, right? So it would have been really easy, like, hey guys, let's get out of here and let's go do something. Let's get busy. But instead, they chose to remain obedient and faithful. It's like Jesus said to wait. So we're just going to hang out here until his power comes and then we'll see what he has next. So sometimes we just have to wait. And even though there's things we could be doing, a good idea is not as good as a God idea. So we want to make sure that we've received a God idea before we go and try to do something in our own power. If you're here this morning and you're antsy, and I have to confess that I'm always antsy, right? I want to do it all. Like, you want to do this? Yes. Let's go do that. How are we going? We're going to do it. It'll it'll work. It's always going to work out. Holly and I joke about this all the time. There's two types of people in this world. It's like a, why wouldn't we do that? And a, why would we do that? And you're probably married to the one that you're not, right? 
And so it's like, hey, let's go jump off of that mountain. Why wouldn't we do that? Let's go try it. Like, it's going to be great. And then other people are like, that's a terrible, why would anybody do that? And so there's this tension, right, of like, why wouldn't we? Why would we? And so I just think in the, the kingdom of God, we have all of those things represented. Some of us are like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And other people are like, why don't we just hang out and wait and make sure that it's what it needs to be before we rush out and do something into our own power? It's like, so for those of you who are like the why, why wouldn't we? Like, we probably need this a little more than the why would we people. So just, you know, let's make a note and just kind of deal with that with the Holy Spirit. When it comes to the things of God, what we should want is the quality of God, not just quantity. It's not busyness for busyness sake. It's not just to check boxes and it's not just religious activity. We're waiting for the power of God to lead us into the purpose of God. And we have to wait and hang out. And what do we see next? They were praying. While they were waiting, they were praying together. So they weren't, weren't just sitting there going, they were asking for God to lead them. They were, well, we don't know what they were praying about, honestly. But they were praying and something happened, so that was good enough, right? So there's not a formula, but while they were together, they were a praying, and, and we have a renaissanceism that Chris talks about all the time, and he says, we pray our way into the move of God. We pray our way into the move of God. It looks cool when you're quoted on the screen, right? <laughs> so it's like legit. And so we pray our way into the move of God. Like there's so many things as a church that we could do. We know how to do a lot of ministry. We know how to serve a lot of people. We know how, we know what we can do to make an impact. But what's far more important than that is us being together, praying and waiting for God to show us exactly where we should deploy in his power, not in ours, right? And so prayer is of the utmost importance. Abraham Lincoln has this amazing quote, and he says, give me six hours to chop down the tree and I will spend the first four sharpening the ax. Because otherwise, I'm just like out there doing this work that's really hard and not getting anything done. But when I have the proper preparation and the proper waiting, it, it just works. And it happens like it's supposed to happen. And it happens in the flow and the power of God. And it's not infuriating. It's not frustrating. It's not exhausting because it's weighted on the timing and the power of God. There's no better way to sharpen the ax than to pray expectantly, but to also so pray patiently. I'm willing to wait for your very best, God. I'm not just going to go start whacking down this tree because I think it's a good idea. I'm going to position myself to wait and pray. And waiting's never easy, and it never, it never feels right. It always just feels painful and like, oh, just like nothing. But it's incredibly important as a spiritual discipline because it's possible for us to get ahead of God and when we do that, the results are what we can do, not what he can do. And so we're patiently waiting and expecting for him to come and give us his power when he's ready. And the other thing that I think is just great is that they were together. So what was their preparation? They were waiting, they were praying, and they were together. When it was time, they were all together in one place. We're better together. It's in community that we keep each other focused. It's together. When we, we weren't supposed to, we're not supposed to wait alone because when we wait alone is when we have a bigger tendency to get outside of the plan and purpose of God and do something that only we can pull off. But when we're together, you get the, the benefit of praying together and somebody just going, hey, let's just hold on for a second. 
Let's just make sure that this is a God idea, not just a good idea. We need each other. We're better together. We're designed to be together. Alone is a terrible way to wait, and you don't have to be alone. We're here to help each other, support each other, encourage each other, and call each other up to the highest possible purposes of God to get to a place where we wouldn't otherwise get on our own. So it's important for us to see that before this major move of God, and it's a major move of God that's about to happen, but for a season, it was like, like a week of, anything happen today? No. Anything happen today? No. Anything happen today? No. Keep praying. Keep waiting. Keep being together. Did anything happen today? And then, guess what? Something happened, right? So what we see next is the presence of God comes. So the preparation ushered in the presence of God. And after the preparation, um, it God, God brings his presence like onto the scene in dramatic fashion. There's just times and seasons where you've been in the presence of God and you just go, whoo, that was the presence of God. Like we had this amazing worship night Friday night where we partnered with the Grove and just people coming together and just with the, the desire of asking God for revival and renewal in our city and in our, in our area. And as we sat in this crowd together on Friday, there was just a couple of times where it's like, the presence of God is here. It was undeniable. What's that feeling? It's the presence of God. It's here. So they had this recognition. Luke strategically uses the word like here, which I want us to be aware of because what that tells us is that they had never seen anything like this before. They didn't have any explanation for what was happening except for they were well-versed in the Old Testament. So, by the way, the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's one testament. It's one story from beginning to end about God creating, breathing life, and moving us to this place of the kingdom coming and being restored to the way he created it in the beginning with Jesus right in the middle, making all things new, being restored and reconciled through him. And so when you read through all of, I've been reading through the Old Testament here lately, and it's like, I'm just, I was, even before I knew I was preaching this, it was like, I was so caught up in this. It's like, the presence of God was everything. If they weren't sure that the presence of God was there, they didn't go or they did go and they experienced utter failure. The presence of God was their protection. It was their provision. It was what they depended on to go. And so when, when this happens in Pentecost, Luke is one of the ones gathered and the only thing he can do to describe it is like, hey, th- something felt like tongues of fire. Something happened here. It sounded like a mighty rushing wind. Without that reference, if Luke wasn't well-versed in what God had done before, he wouldn't have been able to recognize those things. So what I want us to just understand is that the presence of God often ushers in new things. So they, ha- they were experiencing something that they had never experienced before, and that's a good thing. And I want to kind of just um, poke on this a little bit, because when, as a follower of God, there's always going to be something that you haven't experienced yet. There's always something else. doesn't matter how successful it's been, mighty move of God, but those are for times and seasons, and then God's working out the next thing and the next thing. And so the presence of God is coming um, 
to establish something that hasn't happened before, but the thing that's happening now like we've never seen before, it'll look like something else that's already happened under the protection and provision and presence of God. So there's always this connection of like, wow, this is new and exciting, but it feels like I've heard about this and it was like this. And so we get a little bit of a a feeling of that um, from the way that Luke describes it. So the presence of God is ushering in these new things that's also keeping us connected to the old things of God. And he just goes, it sounds like a mighty rush wind, which by the way, like we had, um, anybody like outside when that front came through this week, like the tornado warning, I was in the Chick-fil-A parking lot, like just there, like by myself. And it was like, well, this is it. You know, we had a good run and, um, I'm not even going to get chicken like before this thing takes me out. And it's like, the sky turned, it was 9.30 and the sky turned green and all of a sudden the flags are like about to be ripped off the pole and I'm freaking out and waiting for Natalia to get off work and then a lightning strikes and all the power goes out and I, I actually kind of for a second thought that was it. I was like, oh, boom, dark, ha. Huh. Uh, oh wait, it came back on. It's not, not the end yet. But it's like when a mighty rushing wind happens, it's not really pleasant. Like it's like, oh, what's happening? And it's like the presence of God may be like that. It may not be like a warm hug. It may be like a, oh, what was that? Because now I'm alert. I'm ready, right? And so it's not necessarily about comfort. It's about, let's break this thing up. This is the breath of God, right? The the wind um, is the, the same word that's often used for the breath of God. Breath and wind of God are used interchangeably in the Bible. So this is actually calling us back to when God breathed life into Adam for the first time something that wasn't there is now there. So this is what the presence of God does. Something that wasn't there, now being there, it's like a wind, you could hear it. And then he he also says it's like fire, right? And this makes us think of like the burning bush. (laughs) Moses had never seen a burning bush before. I don't know how you would react to like walking along and there's like, oh, there's a bush on fire. Moses, (laughs) the burning bush is talking to me? What? All of this is really uncomfortable, It's calling us in to something that we've never experienced before. Deuteronomy 4 says that our God is a consuming fire. In the Old Testament, it was like he was a fire by night, like lighting their way, showing them the direction that they should go. When Elijah was contending for God among uh, believers of pagan gods and they had like a contest of like whose God was actually God, Elijah called down fire from heaven. The presence of God consumed it and what demonstrated that God is who he is. Malachi refers to a, a refiner's fire. So all throughout the Old Testament, you've got the historians and the prophets like saying the power of God is like fire. And Luke's in this room going, it's like that. All of these amazing things of God are like fire, and and fire is about the power of God, this uncontrollable wind taking us to places that we could never go, and it's also about purity. kind of has to burn away the things that are keeping us from being everything that God wants us to be. So we see the presence of God being like a rushing wind and like fire. And throughout the scriptures, we learn that the presence of God is what makes all the difference. You need it, you hear it. When you don't have it, you're limited. The presence of God is what they were waiting for and God sent it to them. We need the presence of God to do the purposes of God. Another thing we need is the power of God. The presence of God brings the power of God. God is not weak, 
all throughout. Um, I love the, we use the CSB version of the scriptures and all throughout the Old Testament, um, it always talks about the God of armies, <laughs> the God of armies. God is always on a mission. He's always advancing. He's always, glo- and it's like, and there's power and there's strength behind it. The power of God is something that, that we need. It taps us into this source bigger than what we could do on our own. And at God's discretion, he gives us the ability to do what we've never bef- done before. And it's supernatural gifting. And I think this is what Jesus was talking about. Like, this is the greater things. Because we have a tendency to go like, oh, I could never do that. Yeah, true. But when the power of God comes on you, you can So the question is not what I can do. The question is what can God do and am I willing to trust him under his presence and power, right? That's what the invitation is. We often think of gifts as either something we have or that we don't have. And what we learn here is that God's got all the gifts and he's happy to let you borrow them anytime he wants something cool to happen. And so you're not limited by your human abilities, Like there's things that you naturally bring that bless people and build up the church and encourage and help and support. But at any given time, God can go off script and he can give you something that you didn't even know that you were capable of. The question is, do you trust him? Would you be willing to receive it? Are you making yourself available? Are you asking him with that? The first way we see this is in tongues. Can you imagine that scene that we're talking about? Tongues of fire. Everybody got their own like little pillar of fire that had come down. Everybody in the room, it says, got the gift. And everybody was given a language that somebody on the street needed to hear. It wasn't something that they previously could have done. They, they, there's no record that any of the disciples or the followers in the room had ever experienced anything like that before. But at God's discretion, he needed them to be able to speak in these different languages. And so he came and he gave them the language. And sometimes people use this passage to kind of elevate the gifts of tongues, right? And it's like, it's not about the gift. It's about the giver of the gift doing what he wanted to do in that time. And in this particular season, the gifts of tongues was something that everybody needed. And there seems to be some clarifying language that's a little bit different than when Paul talks about tongues uh, a little bit later on and spiritual gifts. And it's like, yeah, he, Paul says, everybody should speak in tongues. And we don't have time to unpack um, our doctrine of speaking in tongues, right? But, you know, we're happy to talk about that another time. But this was a specific outpouring, a supernatural gift that nobody had that they needed in order to be able to communicate the gospel in these new languages. And I've seen this happen. And to be honest, I haven't seen it happen very much in America. Where I see this is in my travels internationally. When I travel, I hear stories about people and I meet people who are like, I could never, I've never sung a musical note, I've never played the piano, and I went to this place where there was no music and I sat down to this janky keyboard and I started leading worship and God gave me the gift. And this person went on to like make CDs. Like they were given a gift they had never had before. That's crazy. That's the power of God. I've heard stories. I've met with people. I've sat with people. It's like, well, we were carrying this guy in the back of a truck who needed a doctor that was three hours away and he died on the way. So we laid hands on him and we prayed for him and he woke up. And it wasn't like it was just what they needed to have in the moment. 
One time at the church we were leading in San Marcos, we got a call one night. We were out to dinner, and we, we got an urgent call from some close friends of ours, and they had a baby with, with asthma. And they called the doctor, and they were like, the doctor said we have 30 minutes before we call Life Flight to get this baby to the hospital, but we don't know if his lungs are collapsing. We don't know if this or that. So we like dropped what we were doing. We ran over there and this is a, a baby that we are very well acquainted with, not a stranger baby. We go there, this baby's gasping for breath and we're wondering if he's gonna make it. And you know, it's one second, it's like this little window, the doctor said. And so we're crying and we start crying out to God. God, what do you want us to do? God, what do you want us to do? And we just felt like God say, fill that baby's breath with lung, with air. And we, we commanded the breath of God. I put my hands on this baby's chest and I commanded the breath of God into this baby and I felt his lungs fill with air. I don't have very many stories like that, but that was a good one. Something that I didn't have, but in that moment, he was fine. It was fine. And it was just like, okay, am I willing to trust that God can provide the power for the opportunity that's needed the most, whether it's tongues or healing or, you know, any of the spiritual gifts that you may or may not have? This is normal in the kingdom of God, even though it's not normal for us. Are we willing to be open to something outside of normal and comfortable? The gift of tongues is this representation of we can receive supernatural gifting for the purposes of God. The next thing we see demonstrated is preaching, right? So Peter, who just a few days ago said he didn't even know Jesus, like that was his testimony before. Hey, you know Jesus. No, 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 not me. You got me confused with somebody else. With the power of God, Peter stands up and starts confidently preaching the gospel in a way that 3,000 people come to faith. That's a pretty good sermon, right? What was he doing a few days ago? Rejecting that he even knows Jesus. So anybody who's going like, I could never do this, Peter would be one of those. Yeah, I can't do that, except he went from this, what looked like a drunken stupor, these guys are drunk, so he stands up and he starts communicating the gospel in a way that people had never heard before. So I want us to just really quickly, let's go to preaching school real fast. This is what Peter does, because you can preach. Preaching is just proclaiming the good news of Jesus to whatever crowd you happen to be in. So the first thing is know the crowd. He's just looking around going, hey, there's some things happening. These people are hearing the gospel in languages they've never heard or understood before, so we have their attention. Let's explain this. Let's know who they are. And so he starts referencing different things about their backgrounds. And the sermon comes after. We didn't get a chance to read that. But he knows the crowd. Paul does this in Mars Hill. And he's like, hey, you guys are making these things. Like, this is like worshiping God, but it's just not worshiping God. Let me tell you what worshiping real God is. And he uses the things around him to point people to Jesus. And he just explains what's happening. Miracle signs and wonders are, are a little, that's nice to get people's attention. Um, but they were confused. And when you start talking about the things of God, sometimes the natural reaction is like, that doesn't make any sense to me. 
Well, all Peter does is just kind of patiently explain what's happening. Oh, no, no, these guys are drunk. This is what happened. We've been waiting for God, and God come, and he gave us his power so that he could speak to you because he loves you, and he's got a purpose and a plan for your life. And Peter was just helping make sense of the world that was around them, and then he just goes on to proclaim Jesus. And this is where, this is a distinction that's important for us, guys, because a lot of times we walk away from a conversation where somebody like makes a reference to something that could be a God thing, and we maybe walk away thinking, man, that was a Jesus thing. And it's like, there's a lot of spirituality in the world. And I just want us to clarify that preaching without Jesus, like, is not okay. Spirituality without Jesus is actually like sorcery. And so we don't just kind of go around and go, oh, we had a spiritual conversation. It's like, well, those are good. And sometimes you got to start somewhere. And if it's something you know you're going to see over and over again, we can be patient because God's calling people. It's not up to us. But Peter just very clearly said, hey, let me tell you where Jesus fits in to all of this mess. Here's how I see Jesus working in this situation. And he just explained it. And then he invites people to the party. You want to come? You want to be a part of this? And 3,000 people were like, yes, that's it. So I commission you to the gift of preaching. Ready, set, go, right? That's all he did. So we see a supernatural gift that they didn't currently have, and all of a sudden, he's doing that. And then I just want us to place this right here under the purpose, right? So we have, they were preparing the presence of God the power of God for the purpose of God. So Pentecost is the presence of God empowering the people of God for the purposes of God. So where are you? The people of God. What's the opportunity? Being empowered under the presence of God to be a part of the kingdom coming and building the purposes of the kingdom. So how do we do this? We glorify the giver and not the gift, right? It's not about what gift we don't have or do have or being like, I have the gift of tongues. I have the gift of prophecy. I have the gift of discernment. So what? All that matters is we worship a God who for some reason gives us these amazing gifts to bless people and spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Praise him. It's not about the gifts. We use the gifts. We appreciate the gifts. We want the gifts. We ask for the gifts, but it's about the giver and not the gifts. It's God who brought, by the way, like God brought the nations to Fort Bend County, our city looks like this. They were all in Jerusalem for like a festival or like a like we don't that doesn't usually happen. We have that reality Forbin County every single day. The nations of the world are all around us. Do you think God wants to prepare us and bring his presence and empower us to be able to reach the nations? We don't even have to leave our city. And we have that opportunity. We get to proclaim the gospel to the nations. The purpose of Pentecost was not the tongues or the fire or the people filled with the Spirit or even the incredible sermon of Peter. It was about 3,000 people being added to the kingdom that day. It was about what God wanted to do. It's always the most important thing. And to grow the gathering. Grow the gathering. From there, the church has just continued to multiply literally all around the world. We sit where we sit today with the gospel message that we have because of what happened on this day 2,000 years ago. Unbelievable. Purposes of God at work around us. And I wanna say a quick word here about one more thing, and that's about persecution. Persecution's been thrown around a lot lately here in the political climate and the threatening of rights and things like that, and everybody wants to go, oh, they're persecuting us. And it's like, oh, maybe, right? 
But let's just talk about persecution. There's different levels of, of persecution. So we see here that there was just misunderstanding. Sometimes what we call persecution is the people going, I don't understand that. And we criticize things we don't understand. But Peter just goes into it and goes, oh no, it's not that at all. They're not drunk, no, they're not crazy, no, it's not a cult. Like, let me just tell you like, what this is about. So misunderstanding gives us an opportunity to bring clarification, and we can either look at it as persecution and play the victim and be like, see, they question us, and they don't want us to talk about taking our rights and all these things. Like, well, they just thought it was an opportunity to dive in deeper, to proclaim the gospel. And even in newer churches, it's, it's, it's easy to fall into traditions or spiritual habits that, that make sense for like, this is the way we do it, and this is what we say. And we're, what we're actually doing is like facilitating misunderstanding sometimes because we're not explaining why we do the things that we do because we've just done them so long. So there's a big opportunity. Misunderstanding is a big opportunity. It's like baby, baby persecution is misunderstanding. Another kind of baby persecution is like they were mocking them. Look at those idiots, drunk early in the morning, and it's like, we get mocked a lot for our faith, and I just kinda wanna say with as much like compassion and grace as possible, like, who cares? Mocking is not persecution. People are gonna mock us, people are gonna criticize us, people are always skeptical of things that they haven't experienced for themselves, so let's not cry about persecution for that. But let's just see it as an opportunity. We need to be careful what we call persecution because real persecution does exist. I'm gonna put a picture up um, here from you and I got their faces blurred out. But, um, you know, every other week I talk to this couple in a sensitive area in the Middle East. We can call them Ernie and Tina. It's not their real names. They um, are in... Um, a Muslim-dominant country where it's illegal to lead somebody to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, they live in that climate every day. You know what they do every day? Tell people about the love and sacrifice of Jesus. Every day. They build schools and slave labor camps. When somebody can't pay their debt, people go and they, they enslave the family, including the children, where they're subject to trafficking and prostitution, I got a message this morning about a 10-year-old that was raped and nearly killed in one of these slave labor camps, and they serve in like seven of them all over the country. And what do they do? They take schools there, they take disciple makers there, they plant churches there, and they invite people into the kingdom of God, knowing at any second, it'll cost them their life. And a month ago, they sent us a message and said, hey, would you pray for us? We're under investigation. And I said, okay, why? And they're like, well, the children that we rescued from the streets were making too much noise and our neighbors complained. So they knew that we're Christian and then now they know that we're leading other people to become Christians. And they said, but we have legal status, everything is in order as it should be, so we think the investigation is gonna be okay. And I said, okay, we're gonna pray for that. I said, does that happen? And he goes, yeah, it happens. I said, does it always happen? And he goes, no, not every, it doesn't always, they don't always look for what's good. Sometimes they're just looking for an excuse to enforce and persecute. And I said, well, what does that mean for you? I said, what does it mean if you don't get a favorable result to this investigation? And he said, this will be our last communication. What has he done since then? Everything that he did before. Because he 
believes in the purposes of God. He walks in the presence of God with the power of God for the purposes. It's beautiful. That's persecution. It doesn't stop what God calls us and leads us to do. So just, I just, while it was spoken about in this passage, I just think it's important. Like, we're not persecuted in the United States of America. We're not being persecuted. Like, a pastor getting arrested for having a gathering when he wasn't supposed to be having a gathering, that's not persecution. This is persecution. And we need to pray for our brothers and sisters. We need to be grateful for the opportunities that we have to be a part of the purposes of God. So just to close out, on this Pentecost Sunday, that was heavy, right? Ending with like this heavy thing. That's real. That's real. Every single day, all over the world, we get to come, we get to meet in a government building and worship Jesus. Wish it was a little bit cooler in here. It's amazing. We get to do this. Our friends around the world, the very act of gathering like this risks their lives. Worship is a risk of their life. Being together is a risk of their life. That's how much it matters to them. That's how much they value the presence and the power of God. So the purpose of Pentecost, the presence of God empowering the people of God for the purposes of God. That's what we're invited into. So just a couple questions. Where do you see yourself? And this is between you and the Lord, right? I don't know. Are you preparing, expecting, and obediently waiting for the next move of God? Are you in that preparation? It's okay if you are. Are you trying to rush ahead? Are you antsy like I am? Or you just need to be like, I'm waiting for you, God. Patient expectation. Are you seeing the presence of God? Do you want to see the presence of God? Are you open to the presence of God? Are you ready to get a little uncomfortable from where you've been to be taken to the next thing? Are you open to receiving the power of God? How would you like your hands to do something that you've never seen them do or never thought they could do because they can do? How would you like to see your words be used in the hands of God to do what you thought they couldn't do? Are you devoted to living for the purposes of God? Is that a priority? And are you able to push through the persecution, the misunderstanding, the mocking, the threats, the fears? Do we see the purposes as more important than any of the persecution and we're ready to go for it? That's the purpose of Pentecost. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.